Welcome to the ninth episode of Room 106. I'm Richard Garlick from Planning Magazine. And I'm John Gagan, also from Planning Magazine. Every fortnight, we brave Room 106, the torture chamber into which all new planning information is dumped, and pull out the key things you need to know. The podcast is called Room 106 after Room 101, the chamber in George Orwell's novel 1984 that contains a prisoner's deepest fears. We're suggesting that, for ourselves and for some of our audience, there can be a sense of foreboding about digesting the latest developments in the sector. It's called Room 106 instead of Room 101 in honour of the torturous Section 106 negotiations that can take place when councils are trying to agree how much developers should pay for infrastructure. Hopefully regular listeners are getting used to the concept by now. So, coming up, the key news stories of the last fortnight or so and why they might be important for you. We'll be discussing reports that levelling up Secretary Michael Gove has dropped plans for a standalone planning bill. A damning report into a crisis in processing applications at Calderdale Council has been published. We'll explore the findings. And we'll also look into the implications of a devastating cyber attack that brought down the planning portal at Gloucester City Council. And I'll also be highlighting one of the quirkier stories from the past two weeks. Finally, in the deep dive section, I'll talk to planning correspondent David Blackman about his recent report on suggestions that the local plan system is grinding to a halt. By the end of the show, you should know enough to emerge from your next meeting relatively unscathed. So, time to don the hard hats. Ready to go in? OK. Well, here we are again in Room 106, the repository in which all new planning information collects. It's fuller than ever. Yes, the news just keeps coming in. So, John, what stood out for you in the past fortnight? Okay, so my first story is about Michael Gove, the Housing Secretary, apparently telling backbench Tory MPs that the government has scrapped plans for a standalone planning bill. And our readers will will know that the planning bill was meant to deliver many of the planning white paper proposals. And instead... Apparently, Gove said that what the government is intending to do is to tidy up the planning system via levelling up legislation. So the planning bill was included in last year's Queen's speech. And as I said, it was intended to include many provisions in the planning white paper that were consulted on. And we're still awaiting the government response on that. So when the Queen's speech was published, there was a briefing document alongside it that said the planning bill would include changes to local plans to provide more certainty over the um, type, scale and design of development permitted on different categories of land, and also a simpler, faster procedure for producing local plans. It also promised a new infrastructure levy to replace the current developer contribution system. It included proposals to digitise the planning system to make it more visual and to improve public engagement, and also included changing the way environmental, the environmental effects of development are assessed. But, of course, many of the white paper proposals, especially some of the more controversial ones, such as um, so-called growth areas in local plans and mandatory central government housing targets, were not mentioned in the the Queen's speech. And our readers will remember that when Gove was appointed in September, immediately afterwards, it was announced that he'd paused the um, changes, the shake-up of the planning system, and was carrying out a review, which still appears to be going on. Okay, so what exactly did Gove say? 
Well, it was reported in the Daily Telegraph that Gove told a meeting, a private meeting of 45 Tory MPs, that he had decided not to proceed with a major separate piece of planning legislation to put the planning reforms into law. And that's quoting directly from the article. It went on to say that instead, more limited changes to planning rules will be incorporated as part of a levelling up and regeneration bill, which will be set out in the Queen's speech in the spring. And according to the article, Gove also told the meeting that the growth areas proposal, which in the planning white paper, it talks about local plans allocating three types of land, one of which would be growth areas, where there would be um, any sites that were allocated in growth areas would benefit from an outline planning permission. But apparently Gove told the meeting that proposal is now definitely not going to happen. And there'd long been, the government has hinted at this for quite some time now, that that particular proposal was going to be dropped. It was a very controversial one. And the levelling up and regenerate, the, lef- the reference to the levelling up and regeneration bill, of course, is something that was included in the, the recent levelling up white paper. And that bill is meant to introduce many of the measures that the government's currently consulting on. So we asked the housing levelling up department about the, uh, the claims in the Daily Telegraph, and they declined to confirm or deny the claims. But they did say that the government continues to keep the planning system under review to ensure it is best equipped to level up the country and any changes will be announced in due course. Okay, so essentially not confirming it, but you feel that they don't seem to be going to any effort to uh, disabuse people who've read the reports that the planning bill is is, is now not going to happen as a standalone item. That's right. Okay, so of the changes that were mooted in the, in the white paper, which do you think are most likely to survive this transition from a planning bill to a much broader bill? Well, that's, a, that's a, an interesting question. I mean, we can be pretty certain that the, the growth areas proposal isn't going to make it. I mean, it seems like Gove has um, come out against it and the government has recently made a, n- a number of other pronouncements where it's been strongly suggested that this proposal is not going to be taken forward. In the levelling up white paper, in fact, they talked about um, saying they would retain the ability for residents to have a uh, meaningful say on planning applications which was one of the big criticisms of the growth areas proposal, or one of the fears was that um, residents and councillors wouldn't, their, their say over planning applications in these areas would be limited. Another proposal in the white paper that the government seems to have gone cool on is the um, mandatory or, or binding central government housing targets that councils would have to follow. In terms of other things that appear likely that the ministers have made supportive comments of recently, you've got the new infrastructure levy. Uh, which was mentioned in the levelling up white paper, including be- means of better capturing land value uplift from planning permission. You've got the, the change to local plans being reiterated in terms of making them simpler and shorter. Gove still appears to be keen on emphasising beauty or, or promoting beauty in the planning system and also digitisation of the planning system as well. We've got a new housing minister, of course, Stuart Andrew, and he was speaking in the House of Commons last week during a debate, and he made some interesting comments which suggested the government was keen to soften local housing need requirements and to change the five-year housing land supply requirement. So he told MPs that he had heard loud and clear their calls for local housing need requirements to be advisory and not mandatory. And he also said the government is considering how the um, five-year housing land supply target can align with and support the levelling up agenda. Okay, and you, you, you sort of feel that must mean changing the way the standard method works to make it easier to push more housing into away from the southeast. Presumably that's what he's talking about. Yes. I mean, Gove has um, 
has already made several comments about this, about looking at housing, how local housing need is currently assessed and, and changing that. And he's talked about looking at how to promote more housing uh, away from the greater southeast. And of course, housing, local housing need is the basis of housing land supply calculations. There was a very, I think, a very striking column about this by um, Robert Colville, the head of the Centre for Policy Studies think tank. Yeah, basically, he wrote a column in the Times warning the Tory party against trying to relieve housing pressure in the southeast by building on brownfield sites in the north. And he said, telling northern voters to get on their bike and look for work didn't go down well in the 1980s. Telling southern voters to get in their cars and look for homes will go down even worse. So I think there is, uh, as you say, there's a, going to be a bit of a battle over over that idea. But um, they've been so worried, haven't they, by the impact of the Chesham by-election that it seems quite likely that the course of, uh, of reducing the housing need numbers in the southeast is going to seem very politically attractive to them. Yes, that certainly seems to be the direction of travel. OK, so it, it's pretty clear that the planning bill is never going to materialise. So now all eyes are going to be on this, uh, on the Queen's speech and the levelling up and regeneration bill. What else has been happening in the last couple of weeks, John? Okay, so my next story is about the findings of a damning report about a council's planning services. The report by the Planning Officers Society found that a failure to recruit and retain staff led to decision-making delays at Calderdale Council in West Yorkshire, while the council's planning service reached crisis points, including taking up to eight weeks to validate new applications. And this has been one of the top 10 most read stories of the year so far. And again, it's about the struggles facing local authority planning teams, which we've covered a lot in, in the last month or so. So the council asked POS to review its planning service following a poor performance in last year's housing delivery test. And there were also concerns about the caseloads of development management officers reaching unsustainable levels and also customer dissatisfaction with the speed of planning decision making. So POS did this report and they found a number of weaknesses in the planning service. And the key ones were poor performance against government criteria, excessive and damaging delays in application validation. And this seemed to be a, a major problem. POS found that applications were taking seven to eight weeks to being validated. And um, they said in their report that such a situation was unheard of. And um, of course, the statutory timescale for minor applications to be determined is eight weeks in itself. But here you had a council that was taking as long just to sort of officially say it had received the application and processed all the documents. They also found issues with recruitment as well that had impacted on the, the enforcement team in particular. And so there was a failure to recruit and retain staff. And one of its conclusions was that staff in development management are carrying high caseloads. And there's a clear view that failure to replace and recruit is a major contributory factor. So we spoke to the council's deputy leader who said the council taking the report very seriously and it's making significant progress with the appointment of permanent staff to key posts. Um, it starts to introduce a performance management and monitoring system. It's working on improving customer service. And in addition, the council has also agreed that an improvement plan responding to all the recommendations should be prepared and adopted by July this year. Okay. And as you say, we've reported quite a lot of stuff recently about the problems that councils are facing in maintaining a decent quality planning service and the stress that a lot of planning officers are under. Is this isolated, this report, or are we seeing sort of drip of stories coming out of councils really struggling with their planning services? 
Yes, we've covered a few stories recently on the challenges facing council planning teams. So House Builder, the House Builder Red Row last month said in its half-year report that the planning system has reached its lowest point for a number of years. It said resourcing issues in local authority planning teams and the impacts of losing staff to the private sector are being compounded by the existing bureaucratic and unacceptably slow system. So that's a view from the um, from a major house builder. We also covered a report in a local newspaper this week about a council in Oxfordshire where an opposition councillor claimed that low pay is uh, for planning team staff is to blame for delays in um, determining planning applications. That was at West Oxfordshire District Council. And the council said that delays and staff shortages were due to the fact that salaries were not competitive. And another councillor, the cabinet member for planning from the administration, said that one of the key reasons was a gross shortage of students coming through from um, the universities with planning and building qualifications. So again, we've got this problem here of uh, resourcing and um, attracting staff to work in local authority planning teams. More positively, though, we do have we did cover a story that attracts a lot of interest from readers about a council investing in its planning service and. Like Calderdale, uh, Eden District Council in Cumbria had a, um, a review by the Local Government Association which found a number of areas where the council could improve its planning service. But And as a result, the council has announced plans to invest £286,000 in its development management service, including additional resources. OK, well, that's encouraging to hear. That's a, a bit of positive news amongst all the news of difficulties. Yeah. I guess one of the things that is particularly striking, isn't it, to hear these these reports coming from, because I guess we, we're used over the years to hearing developers, uh, maybe private sector consultants, complaining about, about local authority performance. But some of the sort of verdicts in these reports that you're discussing are coming from the Planning Officer Society, which represents public sector planners, and coming from the Local Government Association, which represents local government. And they're, I guess, a verdict from them which says that these services are well below par. There's no sense of it being a um, you know, a body with an axe to grind. Yes, that's right, yeah. Claims probably carry a bit more credibility among them. Um... They certainly come across as impartial and not part of a lobbying exercise, don't they? Which yeah. Is, um, but I think everybody seems to be on the same page as far as this is concerned. I think you know, the cons- we know from our survey that the consultants uh, think this is a huge problem and we know from comments such as Red Rose that uh, developers think it's a huge problem. Everybody thinks the sector needs more resources and um, needs an opportunity to put up its, um, you know, one thing that could help is is the ability to put up its planning fees, but there's still no no news from the levelling up department. No, no, that's obviously something that the housing department's been talking about for several years now, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and uh, what's your third story for the podcast? Well, my third story is also one about a um, uh, on that theme about a council planning service in trouble. And this time, the council was hit by a cyber attack. So last week, we covered the news that this council's planning application portal remains down uh, more than two months after it was hit by the cyber attack. It's one of the top, top five most read stories of the year so far. So it's Gloucester City Council, which discovered in late December that some of its IT systems had been breached, which was impacting its planning services as well as some other services, some other council services. At a meeting at the end of last month, it said it put aside £380,000 from its budget to help restore its IT systems. So we know from the council that new planning applications can still be received, residents can comment on them, and the 
planning team is manually processing applications that have already been submitted. And the council's website does allow for current applications to be viewed partially, but there's a message on there saying that the cyber attack has affected how the council is registering and determining planning applications. And the way it's displaying planning applications has changed as a result. It says it's not currently possible to view historic planning applications on the website and they're not able to email or post plans out to customers. At the moment, we don't have a time frame for when the situation will be resolved. And how long did you say the situation has been ongoing? So the cyber attack was in late December, so it's been more than two months. Okay. Do we know anything about the source of the attack? Well, the council itself is not speculating. There was a BBC article that quoted unnamed council sources who alleged that the cyber attack was carried out by hackers from Russia. But the council responsible has criticised this kind of speculation and said it could cause additional concern for residents and businesses. So the council itself isn't saying much. And is this an isolated occurrence or have other councils suffered similar problems? Well, the London Borough of Hackney in October 2020 also suffered a cyber attack that affected its planning application services. So as a result of that, the council was unable to process planning applications that had been submitted just before the attack was carried out and some applicants had to resubmit applications and also affected other services at the council. By November 2021, so that's last autumn, the council announced that services for residents were back to normal, but its staff were still working to deal with the impact of the attack, including recovering data. And according to local media, the attack on Hackney Council cost it £10 million. So that's a lot of money for councils, especially ones that are being, um, you know, that are having with stretched resources. Yeah, clearly in Hackney, absolutely devastating. And and even in um, Gloucester, you know, two months on, that's a, a, a pretty long, long-lasting impact. Do you sort of see any other implications or um, fallout from this? Well, it's interesting that Gloucester was actually one of the councils that received some money from the housing department. You remember that the housing department has launched a pilot scheme for improving, for looking at how to digitise council planning services and... Gloucester was one of those that received money from the council for this. So, and obviously, cyber attacks are one of the, the big risks of um, increasingly digital council services. I guess that makes them more susceptible to cyber attacks, which I guess is, is one of the risks or one of the challenges that faces, you know, the council planning services are becoming increasingly digitised, then they'll need to withstand these kind of cyber attacks. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I don't know from memory, I can't remember how much of the the government's sort of digitisation agenda for planning is focused on, on the cybersecurity side of things, but that's clearly going to be an important element. Yeah. OK, well, many thanks for that, John. Of course, more details of all these stories can be found on planningresource.co.uk, but I'm going to have to leave you in this uh, sea of planning information because now it's time for this week's Deep Dive. Okay, well, now I'm heading across room 106's cavernous interior, past the chambers stuffed with appeal decision letters. They're pretty full. Now going past the chamber full of planning legislation. Quite a lot of space seems to be left available here. And now it's, it's definitely getting a bit less busy around here because I'm, because I'm in the section of room 106 where they keep the latest local plans. So this will make sense because... On Friday, we published an article titled The Signs That the Local Plan System May Be Grinding to a Halt. 
and I'm just looking in this area of the chamber to see if I can find the author of the article. Ah, David. Ah, hello, Richard. Hi, David. Uh, David Blackman, our, our regular correspondent on these issues. So, David, you've been you've been poking around the local plans part of Room 106. Yes, yes. And um, w- what evidence is there that the local plan system is grinding to a halt? Well, the last six months, as uh, any uh, reader of Planning Magazine will be aware, has seen a it's becoming a, a almost a cavalcade of local councils either withdrawing their plans or, or announcing delays. The most recent, of course, is Basildon, which announced last month that it was um, withdrawing its plan from examination. OK, so how many councils have paused work on their plans or, or withdrawn them entirely over the last six months? Right. Well, by our calculations, and these are the ones that we know about, we've had one council, i.e. Basildon's, withdrawn its plan, but another seven have announced they're pausing. And that's just over the last six months. OK, gosh. Give me some other context for this. Is... Um... You know, is this just a blip or, or, or last year? What were adoption numbers for local plans like? Sure. OK, then. Planning Magazine's own analysis of the Planning Inspectorate's figures show that 16 were adopted in the last year. That was down from 27 in 2020 and an average figure of 28 per year since 2012. So below, I mean, of course, last year was an exceptional year. But nevertheless, that's quite a way below the, the average for the last 10 years. OK, OK. And how many authorities need to be bringing plans forward? How many have up-to-date local plans? Well, um, magazine's own analysis shows that 131 local planning authorities have NPPF-compliant plans, which are less than five years old. That sounds good until you realise that 205 haven't. OK, so we've got a backdrop of the majority of councils not having up-to-date local plans in place a slowing supply of local plan adoptions last year and councils pausing their plans. And this is despite the fact that there's a 2023 government target for all local councils to have local plans in place. Yes. So what's behind all this? Well, the main culprit appears to be our old friend policy uncertainty. Um, I mean, one consultant that we spoke to said that the last time that the local planning system was in a pickle as big as this was in 2012, when the NPPF was coming in. So councils are sort of trying to interpret the mood music coming from government. They see uncertainty over whether the planning white paper is going to be implemented, which now looks, you know, certain aspects of that now look dead in the water. So in previous months, they've been saying we can't introduce our plans because we may have to introduce a whole new planning system, the zoning system, which was talked about in the planning white paper. Now they're saying that they're picking up the mood music coming from Michael Gove, for instance, talking about the importance of the green belt and the, the, the need to protect the green belt. So they're saying, well, we can't possibly continue with our local plans because we need to sort of keep the keep the green belt. So the reasons kind of mutate over time, but the fundamental base is this uncertainty over policy. And that, of course, plays into the other, probably the other key factor is the hints which we've been getting from Whitehall about changes to the standard methodology for calculating housing numbers. Again, there's been talk, you know, being aired by the government that this that there may be changes coming along the line with this. So again, councils, you know, sometimes quite justifiably might say, well, why should we sort of go through all the pain of allocating a load of sites to meet the figures that arrived at through the standard methodology now, when a much lower figure might be spat out in a few months' time? 
And then, of course, there's the electoral timetable. Um, a lot of these councils are facing uh, the local elections in a couple of months' time. So, again, that sort of compounds their reluctance to go to the voters with potentially sort of quite unpalatable and controversial allocations. Okay, really interesting. So it feels like whenever somebody in government moots a, a change in planning policy, that it it's provides local authorities who might be less than 100% enthusiastic about making the difficult choices involved in, in making a local plan. It gives them some ammunition to justify delaying the plan. But the, I suppose the, the question that, that arises is you think, well, that must always have been the case. You know, planning policy is always a, a sort of moving feast and there's always a, a, a potential change in policy somewhere down the line. You know, why isn't it always like this? Why, why isn't it always that local authorities are able to justify not progressing a local plan because of potential changes on the horizon? And and why aren't they being scared into action by the the fear of losing control? Because if they don't have a local plan in place, the presumption in favour of developments will apply, and that effectively strips them of uh, of a degree of planning control. Mm, sure. Well, one big factor is, of course, that as time goes on, the authorities, which probably find local plan making easier, have already adopted their local plans. So they're they're already in place. Um, as time goes on, and this is a particular problem for Greenbelt authorities, which face particular issues around this, a growing proportion of the remaining local authorities which haven't adopted their, their local plans will be Greenbelt authorities. So we're entering the tail of sort of you know, tougher authorities. And the other factor is that, um, yes, there is this threat hanging over their heads that the Secretary of State will take over plan making. But I think the consensus is that um, for a lot of authorities, particularly those in Greenbelt areas, that's a fairly empty threat because the tests involved in the very special circumstances which would be required to get a consent in a, in a Greenbelt authority are such a high test that... Um, the likelihood is that wouldn't happen anyway. And particularly the Secretary of State, you know, particularly in a, coming up to local elections, the Secretary of State is extremely unlikely to exercise that threat over, over local authorities. So, yeah, I think the feeling is that it's a bit of a paper tiger. Mm. I mean, generally, the government has been very reluctant to use its sticks, hasn't it? The, the sticks that it's, it's made for itself, but it, it doesn't tend to want to um, make use of them. Yes. Not enough carrots, not enough sticks. No, exactly. Or enough sticks, but politically impossible to to wield them, it seems. Yeah, 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 yeah. So do you get any sense that authorities are worried about missing the 2023 deadline? Judging by the number of authorities which are already sort of preparing the ground for missing the 2023 deadline, you get the feeling that quite a few aren't. They see more pain by meeting the 2023 deadline than not meeting it. Well, I suppose... Michael Gove has, I think, hinted that one of the elements of his original planning changes, or not his original, but the government's original planning changes that he's still interested in taking forward is simplifying local plans. So maybe some kind of simplification process will give this a new impetus. But it's um, it's obviously worrying to see a system that relies on local plans being drawn up in the first place, you know, significantly slowing. Yes. David, thank you very much for that. And if it's not unkind to wish you a swift return to Room 106, see you back here soon, I hope. Great. Look forward to seeing you then, Richard. Right. Now to find John again, so he can select his reader's choice. 
a highly read but slightly unusual article from the last fortnight. Ah, there he is. Hello, Richard. Hi, John. So what's the reader's choice for this fortnight? Okay, so my reader's choice is a story we've done that our readers are very interested in about a councillor and planning committee member who was suspended from his local authority for a month after an independent watchdog found he opened a coffee shop and wine bar without planning permission and in his defence claimed that he found planning matters difficult to understand. So the investigation was launched by the Public Service Ombudsman for Wales after it received a complaint about the member who is a councillor at Vale of Glamorgan Council and Barrytown Council. And the complaint said that he'd breached the code of conduct for members by um, opening a coffee shop and wine bar, despite it having been refused planning consent by the council. And when he was interviewed by the the ombudsman, the councillor concerned, who'd been on the um, Vale of Glamorgan's planning committee for almost two years and has a 100% attendance rate, said he found planning matters in general confusing and difficult to understand. Okay, well, I suppose some people might feel a small pang of pity for a councillor who's who's maybe being honest about the uh, lack of understanding, but I suspect it just underlines that there's no excuse really for a planning committee member to break planning rules. Yes, that's right. Although, as you say, I think many of our listeners will sympathise with sometimes finding planning matters difficult to understand. Yeah, but I guess um, that can't be used to exculpate a uh, councillor who uh, breaks the rules. I don't think... Uh, voters in local elections or or, or council elections would have much sympathy. No. Okay. well, thank you very much, John. I think our work is done. Let's get out before there are any more announcements or decisions. Great. That's another fortnight summarised. Yes, we'll be back in two weeks to give you another update on the key things happening in the sector. Our thanks to producer Daisy Chaku from Rethink Audio. In the meantime... Don't forget to subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts and to get a daily bulletin of planning news, plus weekly analysis, specialist bulletins and our quarterly print magazine, subscribe at planningresource.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Bye.